Hello and welcome to the Celtic Down Under podcast. I'm your host Jared and joining me tonight are Liam and John. How are you going boys? Good, yeah. I'm, uh, I've had a bit of a, a day so I'm enjoying a nice Fijian rum. So yeah, it's going to get a bit feral. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Feralness, <laughs> it's a good thing. You know, get into it. And how are you Liam? I am good. I'm going to hit the bevy a wee bit later on because we've got a bank holiday here tomorrow. So uh, oh. I'll go and get a wee carry out once we finish up here. Sounds good. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> 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 oh, nah, brilliant. Yeah, just um, we'll get straight into it. So we'll just do the uh, usual shout. So if anyone's, if, you, if anyone out there who's listening hasn't already subscribed, if you could do that. To subscribe to the Celtic Down Under podcast in your favourite podcast app, that would be greatly appreciated. If you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or even Podcast Addict, please leave us a five-star review. We'll appreciate that. Um, yeah, we'll jump straight into it. It's a bit of a weird one because we did a um, podcast last week after winning a game and we've won two in a row. What the hell is this all about? Yeah, Jesus. Is this a little turn for Celtic? Hope so. Yeah, it's a bit of an interesting one. Like, you you know, you get the whole hope there that you're seeing some people online on Twitter going, if we win our two games in hand, plus we beat Rangers in both of them, then they've got to lose three more and then we can still win it because it'll be back at an eight-point margin. And I'm just like... Oh, God. We, I saw that and straight I was like... And we bagged them saying they were full of dilutamol and we've got that sort of comment. Like, you got to have faith, but like keeping the faith, but there's blind faith and that's yeah. pretty much that in my opinion. What are your thoughts on um, Celtic 2, Motherwall 1, Liam? Well, just to add to what you said there about the dilutamol, you know, if anybody actually really does believe we can still win the league, give me a phone because I've got some magic beans I want to sell you. Um, but, um, no, the, the game itself was, uh, you know, it was a good a good result ultimately. But we were kind of hanging on at the end. I think um, there's still obvious frailties in that defence. There's obvious communication issues in moving the ball around, particularly moving it out from the back. Um, we need an established goalkeeper. We need to get the centre of defence in order. Um, those need to be our two primary recruitment sources for next season. And, of course, that's assuming we don't lose any players, which we will. We're going to have to replace a few as well. But, yeah, I mean, job done. Got, got the win. We won. Rangers didn't. So, good weekend in that sense. But, um, yeah, I'm still not convinced that we're actually going in the right direction. What's your thoughts on the game, John? Yeah, um, very much the same, to be honest. I, I was um, pleased to be beating Motherwell. Motherwell's always been, a, especially in recent times, been a quite a difficult team to play against. Um, and I thought I thought there were some obvious weaknesses in Celtic's team, but there was also some things to take away that was positive. I thought we um, moved about, uh, moved the ball about well again. Um, yeah, we, we, you know, we were always trying to, I can't remember. I think we got something silly um, as far as shots went, but um, like 20 or something. So, you look, I I think that's all positive signs. Um, I totally agree about um, 
again, really obviously we need either we need to recruit really cleverly defensively or we need to bring coaches in that not don't just work with the defenders but actually teach everyone how to defend well. Um, and we do, we need a keeper, but, we, but we've known we've needed a keeper. And that, that was the whole point of bringing in Barkas. And it's just been a shame that it's not really worked. And who knows? Um, it might, if you give him another chance, it might work out. It might come good for us still. But, you know, I don't want to write anyone off just yet. I thought, um, again, Welsh, Christ, that I, it, it just goes to show when you actually give um, some of these fringe players and, and youth players a, an actual go, um, they, they can come good. And it, and it, for everything we've been seeing in the news recently with Hendry potentially um, sealing a permanent move away, why have we, why did we not give these players a chance? I, I still think we should give Hendry a chance if he's doing so well in um, the Swedish or uh, Belgian league. Yeah, yeah. It's in Belgium. The issue with Belgium. that is we negotiated a, um, a, a permanent fee within the loan deal. So if we didn't do that, I'd be like, get him back. He deserves a shot. But yeah, you touched on couple of good points there, John. Look, something I was wanting to say is you get the, the young guys in there and give them a chance, and it's funny to see that it actually does that. But in terms of the recruitment, yeah, I'm I'm of the same where we need we need to actually have proper centre-backs, recruit some proper centre-backs, like guys who that's their position. Like, I is doing a great job, but he's not a centre-back. He's a converted centre-back. He was a midfielder first and a striker when he was in juniors. Then you want to get, you don't want to have bit on there as well. You want to have proper centre backs. Then you want to get another right. You're going to have to get a right back and a left back, quite count, being obvious, and probably a backup right back as well, because who's going to be off in the off season? Pretty much everyone. Rolston, John Joe Kenny will go back to Everton. So you pretty much got a blank slate across the back line to fill. So it's going to be a big source of focus. Will be. In my opinion, if we keep Kelmack in the midfield, we're good. We just have to maybe get one or two players there, but it's going to be wingers, the whole back line, and another striker when Eddie moves on. That's going to be the key points in the offseason. It's going to be a big job for the club. But anyway, back to the Celtic Motherwell game for me. It's a good game until about the 65th minute. Then we started making some subs, taking uh, Turnbull off when we did, but keeping... You know, Rogic out there. And then putting Rogic and Alanusi on together later on. Um, yeah, some of the subs we made just didn't make sense. Taking off Taylor, putting on like Salt when you're trying to defend the lead. They're things that in an ideal world you probably shouldn't do, but it's Lenny. <laughs> it's twenty this this the twenty twenty, twenty twenty one season. It's been a shambles and yeah. At the end of the day, we've got three points. That's all that matters. Yep. Yeah, job done. Wasn't pretty, wasn't clever, but we got it done. The only thing I'll add, right, see um, the Motherwell goal. See, you got to give, you know, Jews when it's, you know, Jude. Um, that's not even a fucking phrase. Um, <laughs> that goal was good. That was a good goal. I enjoyed watching that, even though it was obviously against us. That was a well-worked goal. I actually look at it and say, well, Campbell's out of contract at the end of the season. We're going to need another midfielder. Get him in. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, we, it worked out with Turnbull. I was still very much, until I said seeing him, I was still a bit like, why did we buy Turnbull? But 
I just think that just shows how shite Bane was, to be honest, that he managed to get chipped from there. Yeah, well, Will, I've been saying for a while, Bane's a good backup, second or third keeper. He's not a starting quality keeper, in my opinion. So, nope. Fact of the matter is, we've got Connor Hazard, is a young kid coming through, can't even get a game because Bane's in front of him, which I think is a travesty. It should be between Hazard and Barkas the rest of the season to establish themselves who wants that spot. And then next year, if we've got to get another keeper in, get him in and let him battle it out for the number one jersey. We need to have a settled back line and a settled goalkeeper next year because this year has been an absolute clusterfuck. Yep. And yeah. see if we had Hazard in at the time and, and Hazard got chipped, then, you know, he deserves goal of the season because, you know, our boy's seven foot 12 or whatever it is. The other thing with Hazard, if he got chipped, you know what you, the way you look at it? You'd be like, he's only 22. That's a learning experience for him. He'll learn from that and he won't do it again. Like he's made mistakes, he's adjusted, and he's learning. So if he was to get chipped like that, I could live with it because it's a learning experience for him. But Bain at his age, where he's what, almost 30, he should know better. Yep. But still, it was a cracking goal though. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to sit back and just say, Do you know what? It's a shame it wasn't for us, but that was a good goal. You just got to yeah. acknowledge it. Yeah, exactly. And we still won. Like, I would never admit it was a good goal if we'd lost or drawn. That's just no, that's true. That, that's, that's also very true. Yeah. <laughs> or, if that, or if it was a hand scoring. Yeah, oh, yeah. Nah, all of their goals are always shit. Full stop. <laughs> all right. So we'll jump on to our next topic. El Hamed leaves Celtic. He's gone back to Hapoel Beersheba for £800,000. Um, I'm not going to lie. I saw the video Dudu Darham put up on his Twitter. El Hamed's son running down and just crash tackle him. Like, you see that. It brings a smile to the face. I'm like, it's not ideal that he's left the club, but it's, it's bigger than football. And that's the sort of thing. Like, they've been apart for God knows how long. I'm happy for the guy, happy for his family. Go and enjoy the rest of your career with your family and thanks for what you did, especially the um, game at Ibrox last year. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree with those sentiments. Um, guy always Celtic nothing, always gave 100% every time he played. Never any drama with him, you know, not... Some players kind of go, go to the papers and bitch about it when they're not getting in the team, but El Hamid just did his bit in the background and worked hard and got back into the team for a while. Um, the whole situation in the world right now has just got a lot of people, you know, suffering psychologically. And if what he needs for the sake of his own health is to be back home with his family, then good luck to him. I certainly can't hold it against him, and I wouldn't dream of doing so. You were going to say yep. something, John? Yeah, look, I totally agree. I watched the video as well, and it was both heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time just to see how much that boy missed his dad. And yeah, look, it, it's football at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter. Family's far, far more important. And so um, not only, I not only you know, um, wish him all the best and stuff, he was a good player. Um, so there is absolutely no ill will for him wanting to go back to Israel there. Um, and I hope he has all the success in the future and enjoys being home with his wife and kid. Yeah. What's well, something yeah. something you mentioned a bit earlier, John, when you said about um you'd give Barkas another chance next year. 
And I, I agree with that because you see Al-Hamed, this is a perfect example. He's had his family back in Israel and he's been going to training back home on his own. What's he going to do in his own, in his own time? You've got guys like Lex Salt playing computer games online to socialise with people. You've got Eddie would probably be on his own now, now that Cham's moved on. So you've got Duffy struggled to settle as well, according to Lenny. So if you're looking at it that way and you go, these guys have, would normally come in, they'd play, and then they'd be able to go out with their teammates, socialise like, and they can't do it. What's going on in the world at the moment isn't normal. And I'd be willing to give players another chance next year if things are back to normal so we can give them that chance to redeem themselves and actually show us the player that they actually are. Like, we got to see Alhamed last year. We know what, what a quality player he is. But, and we've all seen what Shane Duffy can do for Ireland and what he can do, what he did at Brighton. So we know there's a player there. But at the end of the day... There's something wrong in the world at the moment and it's making it tough for people to settle at different clubs. So, I don't know. It's the whole human element of football. I mean, and and not just that. As like as far as like um, Celtic as like a management team goes, it's think, think of any other business. See if you had like, um, you know, quote unquote psychological problems within, within your team or department. You would make... If you like, you know, like morale's down or something, and it's been a tough month, and um, management normally make some sort of efforts, right? They you know, they might take you out for lunch, or they buy you credit beers, or you do some sort of, I don't know, slightly forced team building exercise or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Nobody can do any of that. You're not allowed to do that just now. So, I mean, Celtic at the management probably are very aware psychologically these players are suffering, but what can they do apart from just you know? Uh, keep your head up and blah, 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 and yeah. When you look at Moritz Bauer last year, he was in all the, um, you know, any time the club was putting out a presser or a new sponsor or whatever, it was always him. So they got him doing that sort of stuff so he could get feel part of it. And like you have a look, if he had those sort of opportunities, if you had guys like Duffy and Barkas and all them who could do those opportunities this year, it'd be great. But then you don't have that at the moment. And then on top of that, you've got, like, it's going to sound weird what I'm saying, but I was thinking about this while actually driving home from work earlier. And if you've got players who are struggling a bit, and you said, John, about they'd normally go out, go for dinner with the coaching staff or go out to the pub with their teammates or whatever, things that they'd normally do that you can't, you normally have a welfare department at the football club. And what I was thinking is, I don't know if this is factual or just me, you know, reading a bit too much into the tinfoil hat bullshit, but are those guys still working, the welfare department at the club, or are they all on furlough still? Or just been um, handled together. Exactly. So maybe that's part of it as well. Who knows? I don't know. Is anyone out there listening that knows? Let us know on Twitter. Comment. Send us a message because I'd like to know that. I mean, you know, that's actually an argument you could make, and I don't know how much this is true or not, but certainly something to think about is the idea that coming into this season, we brought in a few new players. But Rangers already had a mostly settled team. 
could it could there be something in the idea that they already had a, a, a good squad of players bedded in who are comfortable in Scotland, comfortable with each other, and were able to cope with this whole situation better because they were already set up here. Whereas we bring in guys like Barkas and Duffy who don't know anybody, can't really get to know anybody because of the situation, and so mentally can't really adapt. Wouldn't surprise me. Like you look at guys like Haji who come in January last year, had six months yeah. there. Like he hit the ground running. So yeah, yeah, you good point there. I mean, sure. I think that probably is quite true, but that again shows the incompetence of some of the um, you know recruitment team to leave it to the you know most crucial season of Celtic's modern history to get these players in and like there's no way they could have foreseen a global pandemic. I'm not saying that, but you know if if your only real rivals have got all of their big first you know team players in see two seasons before a season before. And you need to get new players in, and and hopefully they're comfortable and enough with each other that they'll win the. That's just bad management. It's poor management. It's no. It's very short sighted. Where's the forward planning? Yeah, no forward planning. Exactly. Well, I mean, listen. I'm not trying to, you know, take any responsibility away from the Celtic board and the Celtic management. It's on them that we're not winning the league this year. Completely. I'm just trying to perhaps rationalise why Rangers are that far ahead despite on paper not being that much better than us as a team. I'll be honest with you. Player for player, I don't still don't think they are better than us. I don't think yeah. I don't think they're twenty points better team than us. I think yeah. it comes, it's a twofold thing here. Number one, which you just touched on earlier, Liam, was they had a settled squad. Number two, they had a settled management set up mm-hmm. who also have a set way that they're going to play so everyone knows their jobs. You put those two factors together, and that's why it's a 20-point margin. You also have the idea of a manager who is very much on the way up. You know, Gerard is one day probably going to manage Liverpool. He's going to go on to probably a bigger job than Rangers once he's done. Lenny, no harm to him, love the guy, but once he leaves Celtic, the only way is down. Yeah. Yeah. You know? He's not going to get a job at Man United, is he? No. Probably end up at Clyde or something like that next move and then further down I mean, the charts after that. That sounds yeah. like super harsh, but like if you think about the, the teams he actually went to, was it not Bolton and then back to Hibs? Like, Christ, that's the sort of... Lennon's an okay manager, but that's that's the standard of Lennon as a manager. Not, it's, no, it's not a, he's not a Rogers class. This is the no, funny thing. When when Lenny left us and went to Bolton, I was um working with a guy who had a massive Bolton Wanderer sticker on the back of his car. Crazy fan, obsessed with his old man used to be involved at the club. And he goes, We got your manager, we got Neil Lennon cop that. And I said, Yeah, good luck with that. Sure enough. <laughs> that, that that worked well for him and he was like he just couldn't get his head around it. After all the success he had with us, he couldn't figure out for the life of him why that didn't translate down south. Yeah, no, you could have talked to any Celtic fan to explain why that wasn't going to work. Mm. Or Hibs fan for that reason. Yeah. All right, so we'll jump on to our next topic, which is rumoured target of Maccabi Tel Aviv near Biton to go in the uh, summer break, potentially. So if the, an offer came in for him, John, what would your take be on that? Would you accept it or would you keep him? 
I um I have loved Biton in the past. I think Biton's been um when he was, you know, at his peak playing it as a central defender and a central midfielder and stuff. I thought he was absolutely fantastic and very much underrated, but I think the Biton we have now, yeah, I would I would let him go. Um I I, I think he's been a, a great servant for the club and I think he's uh, I, you know, I still have a soft spot for him and stuff, but um, I don't think he's really what we need anymore. But I, again, you know, we, we've touched on this. It's such a big rebuild. And I think that at the end of this season, you know, we're going to go through a huge transition. And it is going to be, I know like a lot of people might think it's just, you know, Celtic fans talking up something because we've probably lost this uh, season and stuff. And it's like, no, no, it's going to be, even in like the European football and stuff, it's going to be a huge transition for Celtic and all Scottish football and stuff. So, I think I think players like Bitton, it's probably a time to go, um, and it just highlights, you know, how much we've been needing defenders. We, we, we've had defensive like crises, quote unquote, since um, you know before we signed Julian. I mean, that's the reason, one of the reasons why we signed him, right? It was because at that point we all recognised we needed better defenders, and that you know what we had wasn't good enough, and we needed to get up, and that's why we bought Julian, and then. Think about all the defenders we've bought since then and had and stuff. And that was all supposed to be, oh, this is the player that's going to shore up and stuff. And we've been stuck with Biton. How many fucking Champions League campaigns have we all complained about? Because Biton is the the other defensive partner. I, I, I do think it's time for him to go, to be honest. I think it probably was a few seasons ago as well. Funny thing is, you, you throw it back there and you're saying about Biton in Europe, but this goes back to Rogers' time. Like, we needed centre-backs then. So if you go right back... Colo Torre did a job for us. Great. Benkovic did a job for us, but it was alone. And then you go through everything else and it's just like, it's a miss, miss, miss. And do I really say Marvin Comper? So, like, realistically, I can understand why Biton made the transition into that position. But for me, if an offer comes in for him, thanks for everything you've done. Enjoy your move. Go, go go home, have fun, off you go. But at the same time, if we're going to lose a lot of experienced players, do we want to keep him around for another season because he's under contract for another two, three seasons just for continuity's sake? Would you, would you keep him? And I'll throw it to you, Liam. Would you keep him if we're going to lose guys like Bruni and Duffy goes back to Brighton and then you're going to lose... Other players, like you have all the lone guys leave, say if Rogic moves on, if Christie moves on, there's going to be a massive gap in terms of if Aya leaves as well. It's going to be a massive gap of leadership within the squad. So would you keep him for that reason? I would say no. Um, the simple reason, and it's nothing against Beton, because I think he's done, again, very much like El Hamid, a guy that always gave his all whenever he was played and whenever he played. Um, and no dramas about not being in the team and whatever. A team player in every sense of the word. But um, he, he's a utility player. And when we have our big clear out in the summer, as I think is inevitable, you want to retain your core players. Now, for me, that's guys like Cal Mack, guys like Turnbull, Soro. You're going to build the next generation Celtic team around guys like that. Right? You don't build it around utility players. 
So I'm afraid that Beaton is part of the old guard, and the old guard needs to be cleared out. Yep, I I, I think so, and and I don't think Beaton um, is. I don't think he has the type of personality that is required to, you know, have consistency. He's not. If it, if it was Lustig we were talking about, right? And Lustig has become a bit part player, and he's just kind of in and around the first team and stuff. I would probably agree that keeping him for for personality uh, in the dressing room and stuff and keep it sure, yeah, hundred percent. I don't think Biton has that type of personality. I think he's um, slightly quiet. Um, keep just you know, like you say, happy to get on with whatever's he's given and doesn't complain and stuff. And there's all types of we've had lots of types of players like that. Like Hayes is another one and stuff. Um, although, yeah, he's apparently he was a great personality as well. Yeah, no, I, I think it's time for Bitton to go. And he probably wants to go as well. I don't think he'll be part of anybody's long-term plans, any new manager. Yeah, fair enough. There's also the, now that El Hamid's away, he's the only Israeli in the team. And is there a homesickness issue that's going to become more acute there as well? Yeah. Yep. I don't think homesickness would be as bad for him considering him and his wife have been in Glasgow for years. So they know the city. That's a fair point, actually. I didn't know his wife was there. Fair point. Yeah. I didn't know she's there because of after the last derby when he got sent off and he copped him and his wife copped all sorts of powders on Twitter and she's on there and everything. And yeah, she's in Glasgow. So yeah, mm. I didn't know that from because of that unfortunate situation. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll um, we'll see. I think Beton is going to be here until he fucking retires. Probably he always seems to be at the Celtic team. So. I'd, yeah, I'd say building a statue was a joke because, you know, there's more chance of him getting a statue than Peter Lawwell. But, yeah. you know, build, I'd say building a statue. But my joke was going to be he moves about as slow as a statue anyway, so it wouldn't be much of a much difference. <laughs> different, yeah. Anyway. I think he's he's definitely set the standard. For, if we have a, when we get um, in the future, we had Israelis again playing. He's the standard, right? Beton has been such a great servant. Like he's the he's the Israeli standard. Yeah, which is yeah. I mean, Israel's a market we've done all right in over the years. I definitely think we'll go in there again sooner rather than later. Uh, we'll just Effie, hear from Dudu uh, again. Can we remind uh, everyone that Effie Ambrose was from Israel teams? Let's not do Israel again. So was Berem Kyle. <laughs> so was El Hamid. So was Bitton. So was Sorrow. So there's your um, five people there. So, yeah, but uh, oh yeah, well, one in five is an is an Ambrose. That's quite risky. If you look and at John it, John target practice. I Berkovic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, here we go. Good old Isle Berkovic, my least favourite. <laughs> one of my least uh, favourites. Okay, so we'll go on to our next topic we've got here Celtic has been linked with Fergal Harkin from Manchester City as a possible director of football so a bit of info on him for you boys because you weren't too au fait with who Fergal Harkin is beforehand so I've got a story up here with some info for you so he's Irish so tick <laughs> just to say that. <laughs> um, he's currently as I said he's currently employed by Manchester City as their football partnerships manager. So basically what that means is if a player is to go out on loan, 
he's the one who finds them their club and monitors them and keeps in touch with everyone. So he's got he's pretty well connected, and he would you would think that he would know know the marketplace pretty well. Um, when he used to play, here's a pointer that I just read here. He spent 18 months under Martin O'Neill at Leicester City playing with Neil Lennon. Um, he worked at night for six years, eventually becoming their football marketing manager before he went to Man City. So what he currently does, he goes, he's billed as their transfer guru. He oversees a loan operation. Um, it goes, his, this article I'm reading is, he's not simply flitting from ground to ground and ringing up players to make sure they're getting enough time. He's got an entire department devoted to players on loan, monitoring their process and their incredible detail. This includes two video analysts, psychologists, nutritionists, physio and strength and conditioning coaches all reporting into him. That last bit there sounds like a director of football to me already, but just for their loan players. So, um, yes, yeah, so he currently has Jolie and Les Scott reporting to him and he runs the operation of up to 40 loanees at the moment. So that's what he's currently doing. Hearing that information, John, what's your thought on it? Um, yeah, look, all right. I, I think, um, well, first of all, I, I think it's it's good to hear that even if it's rumours, we are linked to some sort of uh, director of football, sporting director, right? That's a good sign. Um, it's also a good sign that we are trying to pick up somebody from um, a team like the calibre of Man City. Right, those are all good positive signs. Um, again, my only hesitation is what we were saying last week, which is you almost need to be a Celtic man to take a job at Celtic. And I mean, maybe you do. Maybe that's just a reality of of Scottish football and Celtic. Is if you're if you there's a ceiling, and if you want to go past that ceiling, then it needs to be someone who has some sort of Celtic connection. You know, Irish used to play for a Celtic team. Know somebody who plays a Celtic team. You know, his postman is a Celtic fan. Something like that, right? There has to be some sort of Celtic connection. Um, but yeah, look, I think on paper it sounds good. I'll never, I'll, I'll not, I've never experienced um, supporting Celtic with a director of football. I don't think. So I have no idea what it's going to be like, and I only. I'd only judge what he's like if he comes in and and does a good job or bad job or whatever. So yeah, good signs. Um, and let's hope something like this happens. What do you reckon, Liam? Yeah, I'm pretty much along the same lines. I um, I think based on what you've told me about his background, it sounds like a guy who would do a good job here. My only concern is. At Man City, you said he's got about 40 staff under him. No, he's looking after 40 lone players. But he's got a good entourage of psychologists, conditioning coaches, whatever, under him. Celtic will have all those staff, but will they be of the same calibre as Man City? I'm saying probably not. Um, Now, there's no point bringing this guy in unless you allow him to bring some of that team with him as well. And I worry that Celtic could end up bringing in a, a good guy, but not giving him the resources that he needs to get the job done and the people that he needs to get the job done. Um, so my worry is that I get the guy in if you think you can do the job, but make sure you support him properly. Um, on the other hand, it's a good sign because 
this would indicate to me that the, when the new chief exec comes in, they're moving away from the Peter Lawwell model of interference in the team. This guy is going to be doing the job that Lawwell was kind of dabbling in and shouldn't have been doing, hopefully. Exactly, and that's what I find so exciting about this if it ha- if it goes ahead. Like for me, we've got new CEO coming in, Don Mackay, who's really good on the business side and that's odd. So if he can stick, stay in his lane and stick over there and bring in a guy like Fergal Harkin who's coming from a big club who can structure it. And as you mentioned about all the, the staff that are currently reporting into him, they will, that level would still report into him as director of football. And then the coaches would also report into him. So him overseeing all that, that would be great in my opinion because you have Fergal looking after the football side, Dom looking after the business side. And that's the way forward. We've been talking about this on this podcast for two, almost two years, as long as this podcast has been around. So I think we're 60-something podcasts in. So I'm excited if it goes ahead. But, yeah, watch this space, I suppose. Fingers crossed it happens. Fingers yeah. crossed. Yeah, here's hoping. All right, everyone listening, what I'll do is um, I'm just going to throw a little message out here about – um, company called Manscaped to support the Celtic Down Under podcast. Now, ladies, anyone listening, what I've got a bit of an idea for you. If you haven't bought your man a Valentine's Day gift, you know, go and uh, check out manscaped.com, have a look at the uh, Lawnmower 3.0 that they have on there, and, you know, use our, use our code CDU20 at checkout to get 20% off and free shipping. It'll be a benefit to you, your, your partner, your fella. He'll get a bit of a uh, something to look after himself and you'll get the benefit. So Valentine's Day gift, everyone. Check out manscaped.com. Use CDU20, get 20% off and free shipping. Just think on that. Makes it look bigger, boys. Makes <laughs> it look bigger. <laughs> there you go. I love Johnny's input there. Perfect. All right. Now, next thing, tinfoil hat time. It's tinfoil hat o'clock, everyone. I'm going to go here. I'm going to throw it to you first, Liam. And once we throw to you, Liam, I think, everyone, you've got about five minutes for Liam's rant, okay? So that's what <laughs> So we had... Well, it's quite that you were talking about hairy arses and floppy cocks because we're about to talk about referees. <laughs> exactly. So what my question to you boys is... Have the Lanarkshire Referees Association actually declared an open war on Celtic? Is it an open season on Celtic players? The reason I'm asking this is you've got the two incidents from the last week. You've got a Yeti's penalty, which in my opinion, I said last week, was soft, but there was contact. Any striker in that situation where he wins the ball and gets contact and feels contact in the box will go down. So... That was, if it was a dive, he would have got a yellow card in the game, yet they charged him. Three independent referees review it and say, nah, that's simulation, that's a two-game ban. Yes, we managed to get off it on appeal, but that's irrelevant here. The other thing is Devante Cole's tackle on Sorrow. He got off for that as well. So with those two in particular and then Kamar Roof across the city, is the Lanarkshire Referees Association declaring war on Celtic? Liam, over to you. 
yes, I believe so. Um, not so much just Celtic, but they're also working extremely hard to benefit Rangers. If you watch every single Rangers game since New Year, there's been at least one incident where one of them should have been red-carded or given a second yellow card and wasn't. There have been goals that were clearly offside that were given. There have been goals against them that were clearly onside that were not given. Um, Operation Stop the Ten and Save the Huns is well and truly in full flow, and the referees are but one part of it. Um, Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you can argue about inconsistencies and honest mistakes, and referees are not robots, right? They do make mistakes, and I'm not going to hold mistakes against people. But in any other line of work, right, if you make the same mistakes consistently again and again and again, you're going to get sacked. In a referee's case, at the very least, you should be demoted and not be not be refereeing top flight games for a while until you've proven you can handle it. Because these are all very obvious and basic errors, if we assume that they're errors. And I don't believe these referees are that stupid. Which leads to the uh, the only conclusion, logically, is that it is corruption. It is guys deliberately trying to ensure that one team wins and another team loses by exerting influence in the best way that they can, which is by encouraging cheating and ignoring it where it suits them. So, yes, I think they have declared war on us, and as it stands, they're winning. Over to you guys. What do you think? Oh, yours, John. Oh, oh that was considerably um, shorter than I thought so. I thought it was going to be Liam. That was good. Um, <laughs> I think I think um, it's... I don't, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I think it's been a well-known fact that um, people and especially refs from parts of Lanarkshire have always preferred one particular team in Glasgow than the other, right? That's been a well-established thing. Um, and, you know, I still think it's completely outrageous that uh, that the Scottish League is the only league in, I want to say Europe, but probably the world, where refs, don't have to declare what team they support as they register. That, I, that, that's absolutely baffling to anyone, not just not just Celtic fans. I mean, because if it was if it was fair and you had a nice widespread uh, representation of all the referee associations, it would also be true of all the other rivalries in um, the Scottish Premiership, right? There'd, there'd be all different. Um, refs that support one team or another, and you would declare it, and then you just make sure that that ref doesn't fucking referee games for the team that they support. Because we can all say, honestly, that if we were all referees, right, and we ended up refing a Celtic game, not even deliberately, but subconsciously, we're going to let Celtic away with a lot more than the other fucking team, right? Because we are fans of Celtic. That's just a given. That's like any, any reasonable human would do that. They would always, you know, give preferences to the to the thing that they like the most. I mean, this goes back. I don't know if everybody remembers this, but um, there's a really good documentary, right? Um, anyone, anyone but Celtic, um, and it's on YouTube. Yeah, Paul Larkin. Yeah, Paul Larkin yeah. documentary. If you haven't seen it and you think, ah, oh, look, you know, you lot are just biased and it's fucking nonsense and all that shit, go watch this documentary, right? And look, 
YouTube documentaries aren't always like a good thing to get, you know, really invested in. But, but this one is true. It is fact, you know, just go watch it. And then, you know, believe it or don't believe it. It's up to you. Yeah. I reckon you talk to Liam's mate, Paul Larkin. And um, yeah, he knows his stuff. Well, you know, the funny thing is actually there's, you know, I've, I've, I've spoken to Paul before about that documentary after I watched it and I, and I, and I said to him and, and through Facebook, I said, you know, the, the thing is that people call him a crank or a conspiracy theorist whatever for putting this out there. But if you watch that documentary, it's all backed up with documentary evidence, right? It's not some nut job saying that the Earth's flat or 9-11 was an inside job without any evidence to prove it. Not this is out, there it is. It happened. These people did these things and it's proven that they did it, and they did it with a with a concerted bias against Celtic. It's very obvious. And another more telling point, forget about documentaries for a minute, right? Let's just say that you are, I don't know, an Aberdeen fan or a Dundee United fan. You listen to this now and you think, oh, there's the bloody Celtic fans going away on a rant again because they're not winning the league, right? Now, think back a few years. What happened the last time? that Celtic actually publicly questioned the competence of referees in Scotland. Strike! They threatened to go on strike. I think they did actually go on strike in the they end. They did. We got refs from overseas, and it was actually a much better standard of, and consistent standard of refereeing. Hey, exactly. didn't, didn't we have... Um, there wasn't there a big debate and conversation at the time that Rogers was in, and he was saying that we needed to go to full-time refs and stuff to get the standard better? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, we should. Going back to what I was saying, you know, to, to put it to compare it to a real life situation, right? If you watched what happened in America last summer with all those protests against racism, right? And particularly the protests against police shooting people, you watch the tantrum, the absolute temper tantrum the police chief union leader um, threw when he was questioned about it. That's the same way I see the referees reacting. The minute you even question their competence or their authority, they completely lose the plot. And it really I was really reminded of that. I was like, I was watching that and I thought, God, this guy should work for the Scottish Referees Association. I was complete- wondering where you were going with his lamb. I was getting ready to hit the dump button if you got too political. No, but it, it was just very similar. A, a guy who just cannot compute the idea that he might even possibly be wrong. You know? And that's what I see with these referees. They just don't, they've never been challenged, really. So the minute you actually do ask questions about them, they can't handle it. And that, to me, raises bigger questions, not just about their bias, but about their competence to actually do the job. Going full-time might be the answer, but if you're recruiting from the the same candidate pool, there's no point. One of you mentioned earlier, I think it was you, John, where you said, um, if a ref does a bad job, they should be stood down. Now, you'll have a look down in England. There was a guy, you got Mike Dean. Now, I know he's copped death threats and he stood himself down for a couple of weeks. But there was a VAR ref on those games who has been stood down because he didn't spot, he didn't fix some incidents as well in those same games. So, yes, if we had VAR in Scotland, it would still be as corrupt as possible because who would be operating it? These same people. However... At least there's checks and balances down there in England where a referee has been demoted or he's been stood down 
for a couple of weeks off the back of their performance. So it's just apples and oranges when you look at the two leagues. Transparency. It's all about transparency. England, for all its flaws, has plenty of transparency. Scotland has bugger all. I also I also think it's really important as well um, that it's not it's not just the referees association. It's um, it's the SFA, really, isn't it? Because y- you can you can mitigate for biases. You can you can create uh, bylaws and you can create standards and stuff so that it's very difficult uh, to point of like negligence um, to for for refs to be biased. And you you know you could you could if we were to bring in VAR, you could make it very difficult for a VAR ref to to not stick to the the letter of the law and stuff and but but again that's just the incompetency of Scottish football and I, I actually think it all comes down to money to be honest I think the reason why we got shit fucking refs uh, is because um, well one they all come from Lancashire but also because they're not full time I also think that the SFA is shit because they ain't got enough funded I think it's all just down to that basically to be honest I don't but, think it's anything to do with full time I'm just gonna say it. yes Brennan Rogers said it you've mentioned it a few times but over here in Australia in the A League we had the same thing where all the refs were part-time. Now, they've made three go full-time and it hasn't really improved the standard. What's the Yeah, right. What, those three full-time refs, one of them ended up going ended up going over to England and he's now doing championship games over there. Then another one has then moved on, so the professional refs are then getting picked off. But then we had a guy who refed the um, third versus fourth playoff at the last World Cup him and his family left Iran and moved over here. So he's one of our full-time refs over here. And I love watching him because he doesn't take shit from the players. They mouth off and he just puts them, points in his pocket or where his logo is, like, oh, I'm the ref, piss off sort of thing. And they do it and they listen to him. So it all, I think it all comes down to not if they're full-time, but the person wearing the, the uniform. Is this referee going to be a sort of twat who just stands there and you know, look at me, look at me, and look at my biases, or is it going to be someone who's like, this is the rule, I'm enforcing the rule, get on with it, play the game. If it's the I second think, one, great. If it's the first one, that's the situation we're currently in. I think um, I think it was what Lynn was saying with transparency as well. Like, do you remember, um, I think we've talked about this before, but there was that trial in the A-League where they did what they do in rugby and they put a mic on the ref and... Um, I, I don't know if uh, like the fans at the, at the stadium could hear, but at least those that were watching through the TV and stuff could hear the decisions the ref was making. They did that for one game. Yeah, it was what just it was like a it trial. Was, it was season. one game because FIFA wanted to wanted to trial it because we wanted to do it for ages. So they let us do it, and then after about twenty minutes or thirty minutes, they cut the mic. Oh fuck! Right, but they've still got that. the full recording that you can watch back after the game. But they cut the mic, and the reason they cut it was because of the language coming from the players towards the ref. They didn't want the kids at home hearing that. Yeah, thinking that was okay. Right. So that's what the that's part of what the issue was. Mm. Could you imagine Look, I, having a um, I don't know, having a Alfredo Morelos going up to a referee and abusing them, or a Barry Ferguson or whatever back in the day, or a Bruni even with a microphone on a referee picking up whatever they're saying. Yeah, I mean, never mind the um, the swearing. If it was like a, it sounds bad, but if it was certain uh, European games and with all the controversy recently, you could you could hear racist remarks to the refs' mics. 
You know what I mean? That's. I'd love to hear what what people are saying to Neymar when he's rolling around on the ground. That would be great to hear. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but I mean, you could. There could be ways of getting around that, right? Look, I mean, um, you could have it where the mic is um, turned on, like the ref has to go away, has made a decision, and and he needs to explain himself, just like they do in rugby, right? Yeah. The ref goes, but he, he he stands away from it. If anyone comes up to me, they they get. Well, they get sin binned in rugby, but you know, like, get away from me, you're getting a book in, stands over here, and then he, and the mic gets turned on. He explains the decision that he's off. made, and then he turns it off, and they get, and that just that just improves accountability of the refs and the transparency, so that we don't have conversations like this, which is, um, we're all pretty fucking convinced that the refs are biased, right? Because they couldn't, they they wouldn't be able to justify that if they had, you know these situations where they had to be mic'd on. See, that's the issue, though. That's why we'll never have that, because it makes the current system unsustainable. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You cannot have that bias because it would be completely exposed in a minute. Even American football, for God's sake, I was watching the Super Bowl the other night. Referees there. I think they've got three referees just for the, just for the, the one game. And, like, it's like, okay... Pass interference, given a, given a penalty. Where he announces the exact penalty, why he's giving it, who he's giving it against. He does it instantaneously. Why can't you do that in football? It would be so simple. The referees won't even do an interview, a 30-second to a minute interview after a game where, you know, if the managers and players are going to cop it and they're not willing to do that, where it's like, oh, this player was offside when you gave when you let this goal stand. Why was that? They don't, yeah. they don't have to answer those sort of questions. Or this player got a yellow card. We thought it should have been a red. Why was that? You don't. They don't have that. It's a couple of questions, but look, even that would be great at the end of a game as a starting point. Well, again, yep. it's all like a transparency, isn't it? It's not even an attempt at transparency. Yeah, what do you reckon, I agree. John? I don't know. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I would... I would obviously be very happy if we had um, a very transparent league, but we don't because it doesn't suit the status quo. And, you know, everyone fucking hates Selwick and there's historical and political reasons for that. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't think, I, don't, I think, oh, I, don't, I, I don't see it changing for a long time, but um, I think teams like Celtic and, and, and then other teams as well in the Scottish leagues should really push for, and you can fucking sell it however you want. You can sell it in a way that's like, you know, um, we're transitioning the standard of Scottish football to be more appealing to an international audience. But I mean, I should just work for the marketing department. But I don't know, like, just, um, just do anything. Just fucking make it a bit better because the refs are shit. And and, and that um, bottom line, bias or not, they're just shit. That's the thing, it's not just Celtic fans that can see it. You know, you, I've got mates who support Hearts, Hibs, Aberdeen. They all say the same thing. The, the, the refs are either shite or so heavily biased against Rangers, it's embarrassing. Sorry, heavily biased in favour of Rangers, it's embarrassing. Yeah, I hear the same thing. They say it's the um, West of Scotland bias, as they say, if it's Celtic right. playing, their players can get away with anything against us because it's a free-for-all. If they're playing against Rangers, they get no calls. They get absolutely slaughtered. When it's games like, say, if you had Ross County playing against St. Johnson, that's when you get a normal refereed game. But anything to do with having either of 
Rangers or Celtic in the game, that's where it all gets uh, goes a bit tits up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So what we'll do is we'll leave that topic there. It was a uh, tinfoil hat o'clock, everyone. Yeah. I hope you uh, put your hats on for that one. So, yeah, what we'll do now is we'll uh, jump on to our games coming up. So Wednesday night over there, Thursday morning our time. Happens to be game against St. Mirren. What do you think we'll see in that game, John? Um, I hope to God we see some revenge and retribution. Um, I hope so. It comes out and just wants to fucking destroy them. Um, I reckon that St. Mirren could be right up for it, though. So they're going to be sitting really deep. I reckon they're going to know full well what Celtic want to win the game and win by a lot to put a lot of the doubters um, behind them and stuff. But... Yeah, I, I think it's going to be another tough game. I think I think we've been struggling against teams um, in the middle of the table and stuff, um, like teams like Samaritan and stuff. So I I hope we come out and um, I mean I think Ayeti's probably going to play now. I think at a fucking principle as well, they'll probably put him on, um, and I hope he gets a fucking penalty and it's a proper dive as well. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I I reckon I reckon we'll be I'll, I'll be happy if we win two 0 and we control the game um, and they don't really have any chances. But we and we just we don't, we don't actually run away with it. But it's two well worked goals and that that will do it for me. What do you reckon, Liam? I um I reckon we'll win three one, um, and I think I get you'll score. Uh, things like that have a habit of coming back around, you know. And uh, St. Martin beat us once; they caught us cold. They won't do it again. Um, they they played us, they, they tactically played us very well the last time we met. But I, I hope even with our current situation at Celtic, are still wise enough to switch it up a wee bit and, uh, you know, make sure the same lightning doesn't strike twice. So for me, I'm thinking it's going to be one all with about 10 minutes to go. John Joe Kenny's going to put in a long ball. They're going to be pushing numbers forward to try and get a win. Like coming forward means they're not going to all be back sitting in our box. And then the speed merchant, Paddy Klamala, is going to come through and get the game winner. 2-1 for the good guys. Ooh, I'd take that. Yep. That'd be an I'll do a cartwheel and end up late to work if that happens, but who cares? <laughs> Probably because I've landed on my head. That's why I'll be late to work. I'm working from home, quote-unquote, yep. to watch the game. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And then on um, Sunday... Our time, so it's that yeah, Sunday over there as well. Perfect. We've got St. Johnson away. So, Liam, what do you think we'll see in that game? Uh, probably quite a tricky game, quite a tight game. We'll win 2-0. Um, I, I think St. Johnson will play quite a physical game. Might be might be some bookings, maybe even a red card. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think a, a physical, tough game probably going to be in quite bad conditions because there's a lot of snow in Scotland at the moment but we will come through 2-0 and John what do you think for that game I think the St. Johnson game is going to be very similar to the St. Mirren game I think they're both I mean I think they're somewhere in the table like similar positions um, I think that's the sort of, I think they're the sort of teams we've been struggling against Um I think it's going to be. I think the fucking weather is going to be a huge factor. To be honest, it might, it might even get called off because I mean they're still getting weather on the east, uh, snow on the east coast and stuff. So, um, 
massive snowstorms and stuff. So yeah, who knows? Um, I, I I reckon I reckon maybe a two nil, maybe a three one, maybe a one nil. I just think it's going to be one of those tight games. Everyone's a little bit fucking nervous about, but mm. let's just hope. Let's just hope that these games we can continue, even even if it is these small wins, right? See, so if it's just a two nil or one nil or three one, whatever. The, these are the sort of games that keep, you know, they, they actually do build momentum. That's what Rangers have been doing so well this season is they've been converting um, fixtures that in previous seasons they would draw and they're actually making them uh, like narrow wins and stuff. Like like Hamilton, for instance, for them. That would mean, and it, could have, it should have ended, or should have, well, Hamilton should have won it apparently, but probably should have ended nil-nil or even 1-0 to Hamilton. And they, you know... Managed to. I think actually, did they win it? I think they drew. But anyway, like point yeah, is, draw. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's just fucking. <laughs> just made myself look like an idiot there. Um, yeah, you got yeah. St. Johnson's in eighth. There you go. Yeah, yeah there you go. Gone, they've got three wins, a draw, and a loss in their last five. Yeah, but I mean, look, I mean, point still stands. Like Rangers have been doing very well this season. That for games that they would otherwise draw in previous seasons, they've been ended up winning by small margins and stuff. So yeah. that's that's what that's what we need to start doing. And I hope games like St. Mary and St. Johnson um we start doing that as well. Yeah, I'm thinking the game's gonna be one for us where the three points is the most important thing. I think it'll probably be either one nil or two one. I think they'll score because who we got defending? We got Ayer and if Ayer and Welsh are playing, it'll be a clean sheet. If Duffy or Biton is in there playing at centre back, we'll concede a goal. So there you mm. go, two nil or two one. That's my guess for the game. Mm. Yep, yep. Have to argue with that. All right. Instead of having a higher or lower game this week, what we're going to do is I've got a couple of. I swear, I tweet out earlier saying send through a couple of questions for us for our podcast. So. People who listen in and that get their questions. So we'll start off with JP1888 on Twitter. Would you invest £5 million in Moy this summer if he was available, as is reported? No. 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 I think he's been fucking shit. Neither do I. I think he's only good for us in Europe because the game's slower. In Scotland, he's always been rubbish. Good player, but not a player that suits the Celtic system or Scottish football in particular. He'll go, I mean, he'll go somewhere else and be a bargain at five million. But Celtic, I don't see it happening. And and that's it. Nobody's saying that he's a shit player. He just doesn't suit Celtic's way of playing. Yeah, exactly. All right, and one question each. One question each. And then the next one is from regular contributor with questions and stuff, Willie. Cherbro in New Zealand. Over to you, mate. Is the Lenny bashing by our own fans going too far now? No. <laughs> Depends on what you mean by Lenny bashing. If it's criticism of his, his if his uh, team choices, his management ability, or his uh, coaching, then definitely not. If it's personal attacks about his mental health, that is bang out of order. Oh yeah, fuck. Who? Just scumbags do that. Like nobody, if he was ill, well, I mean, mental health is an illness, right? But like nobody, you you don't slag somebody who's ill. I mean, would you do it with an amputee? No, you probably wouldn't. If you did, you're a dickhead. But um, 
I, th- I do think that there is a certain caliber of Celtic fans uh, that um, can't just have a giggle, to be honest. Like, it's okay to slag each other and slag Celtic managers and fans. We all did it when Laxalt turned up with his, you know, looking like a 16-year-old coming back from Magaluf. So, like, look, yeah, Lennon, he, he is a legend. And I don't think anyone, I don't think anything he does is a... Um, as a manager, is going to diminish that. He's still going to be a legendary football player. Um, but it's quite f- fun to slag each other from time to time because it's not it's not enjoyable watching Celtic just now. So we've got to have a laugh somewhere. <laughs> Aye, exactly. Yeah, I think there's a line that you just don't want to cross. And, yeah, if it's about the football and what's been happening, that's fine. But anything personal, it's gone too far. So... Yeah, my opinion, my personal opinion is Lenny out, but I appreciate everything he's done for the club in his career as a player and a manager, even though this year has gone to shit. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. something else though, <laughs> I want to throw in quickly is I got tagged in something earlier in the week and told we should phone in one day and record it for our podcast. There's a thing called... Ibrox Radio Live. Oh, God. <laughs> and that's an online radio call-in show. So I was thinking, if we were, anyone listening who's still tuning in, if we were to call in to that show, what questions would you like us to ask these people? <laughs> put, put it in the comments. Send us a message. Comment on the on the, on the post you've seen this on. Love to know that because I'm actually contemplating doing it someday. <laughs> and I love to I'll get Liam on too because I think he'll he'll give him a good good, good spray. So um yeah. <laughs> unless, unless you boys have got anything to add about that, we'll uh, start to wrap up the podcast. Oh, I nah. would ask I would ask them, do they think? No, that's just that do do they think? <laughs> uh, hang on, I have I have a sound effect somewhere. Oh, well, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, I was going to get that noise, but, yeah, can't find it. It's gone now. Yeah, what, what would you ask him, John? Oh, Christ. Um, I'd ask him, do they really think it's 55? I don't know. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Anyway, let us know what you'd ask him in the comments below, guys. So, Thanks for listening. We appreciate you uh, tuning in as usual. Anyone on Facebook, please give us a like on our Facebook page and join our Facebook group. On Instagram and Twitter, you can follow us at Celtic Down. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your time as always. I'm on the hoops tonight. Get the win and uh, hail, hail. Hail, hail.